Good morning, and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Robin Erickson of Deloitte. Robin, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background. Good morning, John, and I'm excited to be here. I lead talent acquisition research for Burson at Deloitte. Burson is Deloitte's human capital research and analysis function within the larger consulting firm. And so in addition to talent acquisition, employee engagement, and retention that I lead, we also investigate HR, talent management, leadership, learning and careers, people analytics, and HCM technologies. So we, we try to be, oh, and we also just created a new practice on rewards. So we're trying to be sort of your one-stop shop in terms of all the research for your uh, human capital questions. So how did you end up working for Deloitte doing this? I, I can't imagine that, that, that as a small child, you looked up at the stars one night and said, oh, yeah, what I want to do is look at talent acquisition for Deloitte and become an expert on that. That, 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 that doesn't strike me as how it happened. So no, that's not, that's not how it happened. In fact, my career has actually followed not a ladder, but a lattice. Um, I've been in consulting my whole career and have basically reinvented myself every few years, which is one of the fun things you can do in consulting. Uh, but I joined Deloitte 10 and a half years ago as a manager in their talent strategy consulting practice and worked for five years as consultant, worked on projects. I was involved with Deloitte's talent-related thought leadership, very well connected. And then five years ago, Deloitte bought Burson and Associates. And I got a call asking me if I'd like to join Burson. And literally, I said to the guy, to the partner, why would I want to do that? Because I, I didn't know about human capital analyst firms. And so fast forward five years, and I love being an analyst. It combines my consulting background, which is you know very practical, trying to help clients solve their most difficult problems. But I also uh, had taken some time in the middle of my career and gotten a PhD and had looked at, you know, the retention of downsizing survivors. So in a bizarre way, uh, being an analyst combines my methodological academic background with my consulting practices. And it's, uh, I love my job. So, so, so what does an analyst do? <laughs> well, technically... Uh, we research uh, the uh, the topics that we're working on, and we provide uh, here at Burson. We provide um, research for our members. We also uh, create tools. We look at uh, the industry trends. We uh, speak at conferences. <laughs> Um, and one of the favorite parts of my job is getting the chance to work with HR leaders, both the Burson members and the clients, to answer their questions in the areas that I uh, lead around talent acquisition, engagement, and retention. Well, Burson, Burson and by Deloitte is, is like the premier brand in, in being an industry analyst in the HR and HR technology arenas. Tell me about what the company's been up to recently. So I'm most excited to tell you about what I've been up to recently. And that is that we, in January, published our second ever talent acquisition industry study. Um, the industry study 
we, we don't, they're, they're really big, so we don't get a chance to do them all the time. So like I said, I've been here for five years and this is the second one we published, but um, we put a survey out there in, in the world um, because we did have um, over 1200 respondents globally. 55% of them were in the Americas, uh, 32% in EMEA, 13% in APAC. And we had a good cross-section of size of organizations, of different industry sectors. And uh, so we then created a, uh, based on our statistical analysis, we created a maturity model. So we had one four years ago, but we've updated it. And it basically has four different levels of talent acquisition maturity. And we're able to uh, show people, you know, sort of what really awesome, but very mature talent acquisition looks like. And what does very mature talent acquisition look like? <laughs> Somehow I knew you might ask me about that. Um, well, we call um, the highest level of talent acquisition maturity, um, that's our level four. We call it personalized and digital enhanced. Uh, that's the level that organizations are, uh, it's, it's aspirational for many organizations simply because it does require a lot of investment. It also, to go from one level of maturity, <clears throat> and as I mentioned, there were four of them, but to go from one level of maturity to the next, it takes time. It's not an easy, um, you know, like you wake up one morning and decide you want to be a, at the top level the next day. But um, at that, you know, at that ma most mature level, that's really where talent acquisition is incredibly integrated with the rest of HR and with uh, the business. So that relationship between the recruiters and the hiring managers are strong. Uh, in fact, you know, we actually say that at that level, the recruiters are trusted business advisors, not just, you know, the uh, recruiter who, you know, in a lower level of maturity, recruiters sort of get with hiring managers, throw over the fence and uh, post requisitions only as needed. Um, at that fourth level, we um, believe that there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> processes to support internal mobility. And, uh, you know, this is where organizations are really using uh, predictive data, AI, and machine learning to optimize their functions. Well, so, so what percentage of companies are at that top level of maturity? Only 13%. Uh, so it, it really is an aspirational goal for organizations to get to. And, you know, it, the, the good news is, though, that our studies showed that there were incredible benefits um, to being at that highest level of maturity. That's interesting. That's about <clears throat> that's about the percentage. If you were looking at, at tech adoption of a new approach, um, that's the early adopter dividing line at about uh, at about thirteen percent. Do you think that this is an early adopter group? I actually uh, yes, I do believe that this is an early adopter group. I also think that. These are organizations that really uh, have to have the best talent acquisition functions. Um, and in many organizations, if they're, if, you know, so take, take a professional services firm, for example, um, their only product really is the people that work for them. 
And so, you know, organizations that are focused on uh, consumer that are, you know, providing uh, knowledge workers, you know, those are the types of organizations that are going to say, hey, you know what, we really probably should spend the money and the time and the resources to help our talent acquisition function operate at that highest level of maturity. Um, so so I, I've sort of heard you say there that, that, um, that there might be companies for whom this level isn't appropriate. Do you think that's true? I do, actually, because um, we, we feel that that top level is really aspirational. I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you look at the spread of the companies in the survey, we had 24% at the most reactive level. That was level one. And um, the basic and transactional, every single company has to have a way of getting employees into the organization. And so, you know, they're that basic level, they're getting people in, but their standards, they may not have standardized processes. They may not have the same tools and technologies. They may be using agencies and job boards a lot, sort of posting and praying uh, with their uh, job requisitions. And then, you know, as you go up, you know, at level two, there were 50% that's standardized and focused. Um, a lot of people, I think, stay at that level because they're doing a good job of getting people into the organization. They're focused on trying to um, improve their processes. They're, uh, you know, trying to improve their candidate experience, their employment brand, um, and, you know, starting to use data, starting to look at AI, perhaps. And uh, so that that's 50%. And then... I think a lot of companies might say, you know what, this is good enough. Um, you know, people um, are important to us, but they're not the most important. And so I think that the organizations that are looking at, you know, saying, hey, you know what, we can't find the talents that we need um, with, with the skills we need, or we need, you know, a higher level of satisfaction of hiring managers or the CEOs laying awake at night worrying about, you know, where to find the talent, you know, those are the companies I think that are going to sort of get to the next level. And I think the biggest jump then is between level two and level three. Level three is called integrated and evidence-based. Um, again, we had 13% at that level, um, but that's going to be the biggest jump, really trying to say, okay, how are you going to integrate talent acquisition across all of HR and start to think about, you know, making talent acquisition a uh, strategic partner to the rest of the business. That's interesting. So, so the the maturity levels. It sounds like you're saying that that it isn't necessary to go all the way up this maturity scale. That it's appropriate for some companies and maybe not appropriate for everybody. Is 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 that right? So, I think everybody wants to do better, and the beauty of our maturity model is that organizations can look at all of the different dimensions that create this and then say, you know, this is where we're at. And I think organizations, they're not usually solidly, you know, everything they do is at level two or everything is at level three. Sometimes they have characteristics of their organization are some are at level two, some are at level three, perhaps they might even be at level one. Like, for example, I uh, recently worked with a large company 
I think you'll find this interesting because it, it touches on AI, uh, but it was a large technology company and they had been doing an HCM implementation. And when we, um, they participated in our survey and were at level four, but one of the things they hadn't done because of acquisitions, because of this new HCM technology and platform that they put in, they hadn't focused on AI at all. And so they got into level four without, you know, really trying to say, so, you know, what should we be doing? And so they um, have been, you know, finished putting in the, the new software and said, okay, this is our new area of focus. And they've been looking to find two solutions in AI, one that would help source and match candidates. Um, and, you know, the biggest challenge that they were finding was finding a tool that was global and scalable for that. And then the second uh, solution that they were looking at AI to solve was around uh, trying to take away some of the administrative responsibilities. Their recruiters were complaining that they were spending all of their time doing administrative work and none of their time actually recruiting. And so trying to find a solution that would uh, help them do that. Interesting, interesting. So at the top of the pile, it, it seems to be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that at the top of the pile, um, it's a more technical solution than at the bottom of the pile, that, that what you have to do to be at the fourth level of maturity here is be really on top of the um, um, state of the art of technology. Yeah? I think at the fourth level, you're, you're, uh, you're you, yes, <laughs> but also you're at the top of your level in everything else, right? So it's, it's an area where candidate experience is incredibly valued. Um, employment brand is focused on. Uh, you're looking at, you know, using predictive data, not just using historical data. You're actually, uh, one of the interesting things in our survey was that we found that uh, organizations at the highest level of maturity spend time training both their recruiters and their hiring managers, but they also think about developing capabilities for their recruiters and um, making sure that they, you know, have access to industry thought leaders and they learn about the business, that they have mentors, they have mentors that they can go to conferences, um, so often, you know, organizations, when they're trying to save money, one of the first things to go is uh, the investment in learning um, and capability development. Uh, another thing that uh, we uncovered um, is that at the highest level of talent acquisition, organizations have really embedded internal mobility into their talent acquisition function. And uh, that's one of the areas that I've been focusing on recently. because. <clears throat> Excuse me, I think that uh, internal mobility has been a conundrum for many organizations. And I think that while organizations, TA functions have talked about internal candidates as a source of hire, I don't know that there's been much focus on whether or not the recruiters can actually find and uh, contact and uh, get in touch with internal candidates. So often they'll go onto a social media site and find that the best candidate works in their organization. And sometimes companies have told their recruiters that they're not allowed to approach employees about new positions um, because of there's a, a culture that doesn't support internal mobility. And, you know, there's, it comes down to that sort of hoarding and poaching mentality instead of thinking, hmm, 
you know what, if employees are going to leave to go someplace else for more challenges, why don't we create an opportunity for them to build their skills here at our organization? That's, that's, that's really, really interesting. I sat, I sat with a group of people in the education technology field earlier this week, and, and they were talking about the importance of preparing employees for their next um, assignment, whether or not it was in the same company. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there seems to be an emerging view of mobility that says the current supervisor and the current company's job is to help a, um, an employee develop and flourish and that it's a great outcome if they move on and go to another company. Uh, did oh. you see any of that in your look? Uh, completely, yes. I mean, one of the things that I have done as I've been studying this topic uh, is, you know, Gallup published some research last year that said 51% of employees have a foot out the door. And if that's the case, why wouldn't organizations want to try to create career paths to keep employees that they already know do a good job? That These employees, they like the company culture. They support it. They've already been through the organization's performance management process, uh, for better or for worse. That's another show. Uh, but. Uh, you know, why, would, why wouldn't you want someone with a proven track record compared to someone from the outside who you're taking a gamble on? So I uh, definitely believe that organizations should be encouraging their managers to be accountable for the internal mobility of their employees and to, not, to take a broader view. Too often a manager will say, oh, well, I just want to make my numbers and so I need my best talent. Um, and they don't want to share their talents across the organization, so it, it's a it's a new cultural mindset. I wonder. I think I think we're starting to see a different view in Silicon Valley. I saw I saw a study the other day that said the median the median tenure of an employee at the top six well known Silicon Valley companies, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook the like, uh, Netflix, um, the, the median employee tenure was about two years. Um, mm-hmm. and that, and that th- there wasn't anybody who actually thought that was a huge problem, that, that what you get when you have short tenures is the ability to access the latest in technology. Um, uh, and, and that, that there's a slowing that happens when people come in to a company go to work on the technology inside of the company, those people don't have really interesting ways to grow their uses of technology because they're busy working on the current thing. And so, so tenure is how people learn. I mean, short tenure is how people learn in some subsets of Silicon Valley. Does that fit into your uh, point of view? It does. And I mean, it's no longer, uh, a stigma to have moved around to a lot of different organizations. Um, however, I would say that in other research that I've done around my uh, one of my biggest passions, which is around retention, I actually wrote a paper on the ROI of retention and the surprising cost of voluntary turnover. Because what happens, you know, 
the bean counters, God love them, uh, they don't really care when people leave because the hard dollar cost to hire and train a new person are roughly equal to the interim reduction of headcount and benefits, you know, salary and benefits. Uh, but what's not considered are the incredible losses whenever an employee leaves an organization. Uh, first of all, there's the lost productivity. So if the average time to hire is 60 days at an executive level or manager level, then that's two months worth of productivity that has been lost to the organization because someone has left voluntarily. Uh, and then there's also the fact that even when you hire someone, it's going to take them a while to ramp up and build their skills. So you've got the lost productivity, which in some organizations you can actually calculate. But you also have the more intangible losses around the loss of institutional knowledge, the loss of client relationships, uh, the fact that uh, you know these employees can go and share the institutional knowledge that they have with other organizations. And so if you could put a, a cost on those, uh, you really quickly could realize that just even decreasing your voluntary turnover by 1% could save you millions of dollars. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not trying to say that any organization should have 100% retention. I don't believe that. Because you want the diversity of thought that comes from uh, you know, people coming from different backgrounds and different organizations and new blood, so to speak. But uh, any organization that hasn't actually looked at all of the costs that go into voluntary turnover um, might actually be surprised at how much money uh, they could save if they improved, you know, their employment brand, if they improved their uh, employee experience to keep people. That, that's really interesting. Listen, did you did you run into many companies using AI in in the study? Is that associated with being top level maturity, or is that something that's happening across the board? So it's actually happening at level three and level four in our study. Um, however, it's 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 it's. I mean, you know this because you've been studying it, but it's it's evolving, right? And when I talk to talent acquisition leaders and ask them what their biggest challenges are, they tell me that their biggest challenge is around AI because they're completely inundated by emails and uh, small little boutique AI firms reaching out to them. Everybody's selling AI, selling you know the best and the brightest, um, but, but they don't know how to make sense of all of these AI platforms and you know to know which ones really could help them. And so, yes, um, it definitely is a differentiator using AI at those levels. But even when we looked at you know sort of the numbers of companies within those levels using AI or, or using trying to use predictive data, the percentages are still small. Yeah, I, I agree. You actually made an interesting distinction between historical data and predictive data earlier in the conversation. Would you would you just illuminate that a little bit more? I'd like to understand better what you mean by that distinction. Sure. So everybody talks about you know big data, and in talent acquisition, uh, many many organizations are still doing only historical reporting, and you know. A lot of organizations are still doing historical reporting in Excel, right? It's, you know, that's sort of how they've always done it. Um, some of the more advanced organizations have data systems, uh, HCM systems that can allow them to do reporting, which is, is obviously uh, important. 
but uh, the, the the bigger challenge is trying to figure out, you know, how are you going to use predictive data? And we found that uh, predictive data was used uh, more often by the highest level of working uh, TA functions. Um, by that level four, um, they used predictive data six times more to develop their talent acquisition strategy, and they were more likely to use predictive data to analyze. Uh, and forecast headcount. Uh, it's actually one of the areas that I'd really like to to dig into is how can you use predictive data uh, within talent acquisition? And, you know, you want to try to address deficiencies in your hiring process. Uh, we found that the highly effective TA teams were six times more likely to engage in data-driven decision-making than the low-performing teams. So uh, it's definitely that that's, that's one of the outcomes of the study is that's an area that I want to study. That's, so, so I'm just going to drill in a little harder there. What's the difference between, I, I, I get, I get the predictive data is a more effective way to operate, but what's the difference? How, if I, if I had a pile of data on my desk and I was looking at it, how would I know if it was predictive or not predictive? So, um, to me, the easiest example is to say uh, historical data is the data that shows everything you've done in the past, like tracking all of your metrics, um, your time to fill, your time for hire, uh, you know, how many requisitions each talent up, each recruiter has, that sort of thing. And predictive data is taking that historical data and additional data that you have from, you know, that you're able to pull from your CRM, that you're able to then the, the sort of quote unquote that big data that's out there, looking at you know the historical, sorry not the historical, but like the current labor trends, the current unemployment levels in different places and that sort of thing, and putting all of that data together to then analyze um, and predict what you might be able to do, and so it's it's the next level of of data reporting. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. That that's great. So, so uh, the last question. There seems to be pretty broad-based nervousness about using AI and HR as a whole. What do you think? What do you think causes that? <laughs> well, I think there's fear that the robots are coming and we're all going to lose our jobs. Uh-huh. Um, I don't believe that. I think that um, every time we've seen advanced technology. Uh, it actually creates new jobs. If you think about the banks, for example, ATMs replaced a lot of tellers, but the number of banks uh, opening up has not decreased at all. In fact, it's increased because the banks are now spending their time uh, and the people who work there uh, doing more relationship-based consulting, so to speak, with with their members. Um, so I don't think that uh, the fact that AI is 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 there will necessarily take away jobs, but it will create new jobs. Um, I think especially in the sourcing field in talent acquisition, I think that you know the technology is out there that at some point we may not need as many sources, but that's going to mean that recruiters then can spend their time with candidates and really foster relationships and uh, do a better job trying to sell their organization. But um, in my opinion, the biggest issue around AI is around unconscious bias. Uh, it's great that machines can learn, 
uh, from the current practices, but that means that they can learn by us. And so my first question whenever I meet with any of the AITA vendors is to say, okay, so how are you handling this within your platform? How are you trying to uh, make sure that uh, you're going to eliminate bias wherever you can? Well, what a great conversation this has been. Um, thank you for taking the time to do this. We've, we really have traversed the talent acquisition terrain pretty broadly. I think people would be excited to find out more about your research. So, so in closing, would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself and tell people how to get a hold of you? Sure. My name is Robin Erickson, and I um, am at Burson, which is part of Deloitte. If you're interested in learning more about Burson research and Burson membership, you can go to www.bersonberson.com. And you can also reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm in both of those places and would love to speak with you. Thanks very much, Robin. It's been wonderful to have you on the show. You've been a fantastic guest, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you so much, John, and uh, I look forward to your future podcast. Yeah, thanks. So you've been listening to HR Examiner Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Robin Erickson, who is a PhD working in, in as the head of talent acquisition, engagement, and retention research for Burson by Deloitte, which is the premier uh, consulting firm in the space. Thanks for tuning in today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.